Anybody here um, have any awkward, uh, awkward conversations lately? Maybe this past week, and um, some of you guys are like, "This is awkward already." Um, but they, you know, they say they say that if you meet somebody new and you're trying to make friends with them, they say that you should avoid these two uh, particular topics of conversation. Right? You guys probably know what they are already. They they say that if you're trying to make friends with somebody that you don't know too well, you should probably avoid talking about politics and religion, right? Politics and religion. Well, today in Mark chapter 12, what we have is, it seems like on the outside, it seems like it's a conversation about politics and religion, right? It could be awkward. It's loaded. And uh, until you start to dig deeper and until you see that this passage is actually not about politics and it's really not about religion, this passage is about Jesus. And, uh, and we're in, this, in the journey here in, in the Gospel of Mark. We're in chapter 12. For those of you guys who, who have been joining us uh, for some time in this series, you might have already noticed that we skipped over Mark chapter 11. We're saving that for Palm Sunday. We're going to get back to that in the, in the month of April. But for our purposes today, we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 12, verse 13 to 17. What you need to know about this passage is that everything that's happening here till the very end of the Gospel of Mark actually happens in the time span, time span of one week. This is the last week of Jesus' life, uh, last week of Jesus' ministry uh, on earth. And, and so what we know is that tensions are really high right now for Jesus, for his disciples. There are people that have really uh, accepted him and embraced him. There are people that even followed him. But there's also people that considered him an enemy and people that have rejected him. There are those that wanted to trap him. And so Mark 12, 13 starts off like this. Later they sent some of the Pharisees and the Herodians. So there's two groups. And their purpose for coming together is to trap Jesus, the Pharisees and the Herodians. What you need to know about the Pharisees is that the Pharisees were this religious group. They were loyal Jews. They were loyal to their conservative Judaism. And because of their history as Jewish people under the Roman Empire, because of their history, they were actually uh, not in favor of the Roman Empire. They wanted to preserve their conservative Judaism. And in many ways, they saw Jesus as an enemy. There was another group called the Herodians here in Mark 12, 13. The Herodians were actually uh, almost on the opposite end of the spectrum uh, of the Pharisees. The, these group of people were those who were Roman patriots. They were loyal to Caesar of the day. They were about the Roman Empire. They had the bumper stickers. They had the campaigns. They, they were for the Roman Empire. You have two different groups completely on I would even say different political camps, the Pharisees and the Herodians, and they come together in the same space with Jesus, not to unite, not to bring peace, but their main goal was to bring division. They wanted to trap Jesus, and the way they do that is they ask a question, Jesus, and the question is, it's about taxes, and it wasn't about Jesus, how do you do your taxes, right? It's not about Turbo or H&R Block, right? The question that they wanted to ask is, should we pay the tax? Do we pay the tax? It's a, it's a loaded question. And so 
the question for, you know, what we're looking at is, is, um, is, is what is Jesus going to say? They came to, to see basically the Pharisees and the Herodians who were on different camps came together to see where Jesus would land. And essentially they're asking Jesus this question, where do you stand? Do you stand with us or do you, do you stand with them? Are you with them or are you with us? Are you for us or against us? In our day it would be like this. Are you a Republican or are you a Democrat? Are you conservative or are you liberal? Are you red or blue? You know, and, and it's just about this division. It's about casting people uh, far away if, if they're not like you. And, and so they wanted to know Jesus. Where do you stand? Verse 14. So they ask, is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we pay? Do you guys see the dilemma here with Jesus? Because he's caught in between two different groups of people, two different camps. On one end, if Jesus answers yes, you pay, he answers against the Pharisees and he's seen as a traitor to God. But on the other hand, if he answers no, he answers against Rome and he would be punished because he would be an enemy of the empire. Does that make sense so far? So the question is, how does Jesus respond? How does he answer Verse 15 says, but Jesus knew their hypocrisy. He asked, bring me a denarius. A denarius is a common coin. It was what they used for everyday exchange and um, whether it's for food or to buy clothing. It was, it was a common coin and on this denarius had an image. And he, Jesus says, bring me the denarius. Let me look at it. And so they brought the coin and asked them, whose image is this? And whose inscription? And they said, Caesar's. Caesar's. I had to Google um, to see if I can find an image of what a denarius would have looked like, what a common coin would have looked like. I found this particular picture, and I'm pretty sure that it's evolved over time, or I don't know if this is the exact one that they used, but this is kind of gives you an idea of what a denarius might have looked like. kind of looks like a quarter. And on one side, there's a picture of Caesar, and the other side, there's some other inscriptions and writings. But they actually say that on a lot of these coins, on the denarius, on one side, not only does it have his image, but the inscription reads, Tiberius Caesar. Caesar, son of divine Augustus. See, what you have to know about the Caesars is that they actually saw themselves uh, having this, this uh, divine line with Julius Caesar and Caesar Augustus and now Tiberius Caesar. They saw themselves as royalty and coming from a divine line. So they would write on the coin, Tiberius Caesar, son of divine Augustus. In other words, Tiberius Caesar, son of God. And on the other side of that coin, you would, you would read Pontifus Maximus, which meant high priest. So when you have this denarius, which is all around the Roman Empire, anytime you get food or you buy something, you would see his face and you would see his image. And not only would you see his image, but it would tell you and communicate to you that here is what we believe. What we believe is that Caesar is son of God and Caesar is high priest. And so you can imagine that for the Jews, this is an incredibly uh, important question for them, especially, do we pay the tax? Because for them, every time they saw the coin, every time they saw the denarius, it reminded them it wasn't just a a financial uh, challenge or it wasn't just an economical challenge, but for them it was a constant reminder that they were once again uh, under oppression, submitted by another empire that had taken their land that God had brought them to. It reminded them of all the evil uh, in their history 
It reminded them of slavery. It reminded them of injustice. It reminded them of all the broken structures in the world. And so when you, when you see that and understand the history and the context, you, you would think that Jesus would have probably said, you shouldn't pay the tax. But that's not what Jesus says. Instead, Jesus says this. Jesus says, if it has Caesar's image, give it to Caesar. Jesus says, give it to Caesar. And here's why. Because the coin bears his image. Now, you got to track with me here. Jesus says, the coin, give it to Caesar. Why? Because the coin bears his image. What Jesus is saying here is that that coin, if it has his image, then it belongs to him. But he doesn't stop there. And this is where it gets really good. Jesus doesn't stop with give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. Jesus says, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, but give to God what is God's. And by that statement alone, it's a revolutionary statement. Here's why. Because they saw Caesar as God. When Jesus says, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, and give to God what belongs to God, Jesus has just made the statement that Caesar is not God. You guys see that? And so not only is he saying that Caesar is not God, but what he's saying is there's something that belongs to Caesar and there's something that belongs to God. And put it in their rightful place. The question is how do we know what belongs to who? Here's how you know. Here's how you know what goes to Caesar. Here's how you know what goes and belongs to God. Whatever bears the image of Caesar belongs to Caesar. But whatever bears the image of God belongs to to God, right? I think, I think even first graders could understand this. Whatever bears the image of Caesar, give it back to Caesar. Whatever bears the image of God belongs to God. The tricky part is this, that God doesn't have a coin. But his image is everywhere. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 through 27, it says, Then God said, is this up there? All right. And then God said, let us make mankind in our what? in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And so God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, give to God what belongs to God. The question then is this, what belongs to God? What belongs to God? And the answer is simple. We are created in his image, so then we belong to God. God doesn't need your tax. He wants your trust. God doesn't demand your wages. He desires your worship. See, Caesar Caesar has his image on the coin, and so rightfully so, it belongs to him. What Jesus is essentially saying is, Give the coin to Caesar, but give your life to God. Give the coin to Caesar, but give your life to God. I think what will help is that you got to understand the emotional context here. I think you got to understand the tone of what's happening here. I, I, wish, I wish you could see this with me. Because when, when they're asking Jesus, Jesus, should we pay the tax or should we not? It's a loaded question. 
It seems to be about religion and politics all in one question. And, but what I know about Jesus is that Jesus doesn't stress. I don't think he's worried. I don't think he's like, what should I do? How do I answer this? I don't think he's nervous at all. Here's what I think the tone of Jesus was. Jesus is like this. Well, give me a, give me a denarius. And he looks at the coin and he looks at the the denarius, and goes, well, whose image on, is on this? And they say, oh, Caesar's. No, now watch this. I think his tone is like this. He, he doesn't stress. He goes, whose image is this? Well, Caesar's. I think, he I think Jesus did this. Well, then give it back to Caesar. Thank you, Caesar. I don't know if you guys caught that. I think what Jesus is trying to show us here. It's like, don't make it a big deal what you give to Caesar because what you give to God is more valuable. Because what you give to God is worth way more than the coin. Give your coin to Caesar, but give your life to God. Because you know who bears or what bears the image of God? It's you. It's me. So if Caesar, that's all he wants is the coin? Give the coin to Caesar. But give your life to God. And this is, this is incredible what Jesus is saying here. Because I think it teaches us how to be citizens of heaven while also citizens on earth. Are you with me? John Stott in the book called Basic Christianity, he says this. We must trust him as our savior. He's talking about Jesus. And submit to him as our Lord. And then go on to take our place as loyal members of the church and responsible citizens in the community. So he says, we must trust in him, Jesus. Our, our ultimate trust is not in the government. Our ultimate trust should not be, our ultimate trust and our ultimate hope should not be on the earthly authorities. Are you with me? But our ultimate hope, our ultimate trust, where our joy depends should be in Christ and Christ alone. It's where our trust is. We give our tax to Caesar, but we give our trust to God. And when you trust him as your savior and you submit to him as your Lord, then you can go on and be loyal members of the church and not reckless citizens in the world, but responsible citizens in the world. Why? Because your citizenship in heaven, your trust in God, has now informed who you are here on earth. Does that make sense? What, what John Stott is saying, he's, he, what he's saying is, when you trust Jesus as your Lord and you submit to him as your Lord, then you can be responsible citizens, not reckless. It doesn't mean you go out and do whatever you want. It doesn't mean you go and bash those who don't agree with you politically. He says, no. When you and I can trust in God, in his politics, and his authority, and his work, then we don't have to worry. Sure, things are still broken. Sure, things are still in the process. But we don't have to worry. Because ultimately, God's in control. So give your tax to Caesar. But give your trust to God. By saying, give to God what belongs to God, Jesus is giving them a new way to live. Because what they wanted to do, the, the Pharisees and the Herodians, they came and what they wanted to do was they wanted to pin Jesus into one of the sides, into one of the camps. Are you over there or over there? Are you blue or red, right? Are you, are you conservative, liberal, confused? What are you, Jesus? Like, which side are you going to choose? They wanted Jesus to take a stance. And I love what Pastor Tony Evans says. He says that Jesus came not to take sides, 
but Jesus came to take over. Amen. I heard an amen. Amen. Jesus came not to take sides. That should inform the kind of people we are. But he came to take over. Here's why. Because it doesn't matter what the coin says. It doesn't matter if the coin says Caesar is son of God, high priest. When Jesus came, he came as the true king. He came as the true high priest. When Jesus came, he came to establish a new kingdom. He was the true son of God, the true high priest. And followers of Jesus would be people who don't divide over a political side. Followers of Jesus don't cheat on their taxes. Followers of Jesus can disagree politically, yet love unconditionally. Because followers of Jesus trust in God, not in the Caesars. Amen. Because we ultimately trust in God. See, followers of Jesus, what that means to trust in God, what that means to give our life to God, it means that we seek his kingdom and not the kingdom of the Caesars of our day. It doesn't mean that we, we, it means that we seek God's kingdom over my kingdom, God's kingdom over any kingdom of any political side. We seek God's kingdom and his will, not ours, and not Caesar's. The question is, what happens when we flip this? And, he, and here's where it gets, I think, practical for us. Jesus says, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, and give to God what belongs to God. Here's what we do. Sometimes we give to Caesar what belongs to God, and we give to God what belongs to Caesar. Is that too fast? Sometimes we give to Caesar what actually belongs to God. In other words, we start to trust in the earthly Authorities, we start, to, we start to put our ultimate hope and ultimate trust and we give our lives to the Caesars of our day and, and the worldly kingdoms of our day and then we just give a tax to God. Here's what I mean. Sometimes even as Christians, we say, well, I'm a believer, I'm a Christian, I go to church, I give God my tithe, I'll give God my offering, once a month I'll write a check, I'll even give my time, I'll even serve at church, I'll give like three hours on a weekend, I'll even give three hours on a weeknight. And over time, you may not even know it, but there's something robbing you of your joy. And you're not walking in step with the Spirit. Because instead of trusting God and giving your life to God, you've ended up just giving your tax to God. You've ended up just writing a paycheck to God. And you give God what just has become a tax but your trust is everywhere else. You're starting to trust in your job. It's about your resume. It's about your networks. It's about your accolades. It's about your success. It's about your people. It's about your tribe. It's about your camp. It's about your Caesars. Are you with me? And so what happens is if we're not careful, we start to give Caesars our trust and then God our tax, and and that will rob you of your joy. What's at stake here is your joy and how God wants to change the world. See, what Jesus knew that they didn't know is that through Jesus, the world would change. And it was an invitation to seek him and and his kingdom. What Jesus knows that he wants you to know is that through him, the world will change. What he wants you to know today is that the Caesars of our day will eventually fade, but Jesus will always be Lord. This is going to sound really cheesy, so forgive me. But today, Caesar is just a salad. (laughs) And Jesus is still Lord. 
I know that's really cheesy. It was even hard for me to just say it right now, <laughs> to be honest. But as cheesy as it is, it's going to stick. So it's, so it's worth it. Because like, there's going to be a random moment throughout this week on a Wednesday or something. You're, you're having lunch and you're going to be like, man, Pastor James is right. Caesar is just a salad. But Jesus is still Lord. So where do you put your trust? Whose kingdom are you part of? Whose kingdom are you building? Are we holding back what belongs to God? <clears throat> and are we giving to Caesar what doesn't belong to Caesar? Jesus is talking about seeking his kingdom and giving what belongs to him. See, what happens when we start to flip it, when we tr trust in the Caesars and give God our tax? You know what happens is, we start to either see them as our savior or as our enemy. We either deify them or we demonize them. When our Caesars are not meeting our needs, we, we, we demonize them. When, they're not, when, they don't, when, they're, when we don't like their agenda and their policies and, and we, we don't like their, uh, you know, their laws or whatever it is, we start to demonize them. But then when, when they agree with you and, and you agree with them, we start to deify them. So we either see them as our savior or as our enemy. And we will instead use Jesus instead of following Jesus to get what our kingdom wants or the kingdom of Caesar wants. What Jesus wants us to know is that it's through him. It's through him that everything can change. It's when you put your trust in him, not only do you change, but that's how our city changes. That's how our community changes, and that's how the world changes. See, the Caesars of our day, you saw this in Mark 12, the Caesars of the day, they want you to know, are you for me or are you against me? Are you this or are you that? And so that's why we seek God's kingdom, because in God's kingdom, Apostle Paul said it like this, in Christ there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor male nor female, because in Christ we're one. See, the Caesars of our day, have you noticed that? The Caesars of our day produce fear and division, and they want to know what tribe are you part of? Did you know that we're very tribal people now? Like, what camp are you part of? What color are you? you know? And this is, we're so divided on so many different areas because that's the Caesars of our day. But the message of the gospel is that in Jesus, there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, because Christ came to make us one. And so what Christ is saying is that when he has come, the days of are you this or are you that, are you with the Pharisees or the Herodians, are you blue or red, when, when there's Jesus and his kingdom at work, those days are gone because a new king has come. And because Jesus is still Lord, that's why we can be salt and light we can be law-abiding, we can be tax-paying, we can be full of integrity, winsome citizens of heaven and on earth. Because our joy and our hope does not rest upon the Caesars of our day, but on Christ alone. On Christ alone. It's why we can obey difficult passages like Romans chapter 13. It should be on the screen. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. 
This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. And you might be saying, and I know that even for me, sometimes it's difficult to read because, you know, I don't know if I agree with everything the government is saying. I don't know if I agree with what that camp or that camp is saying. And I know when you're reading it, it might be very, very difficult for you too because you're like, I don't know if I agree with that, that person. I don't know if I agree with that, with that camp or that tribe. And I want you to know this in the context of Romans 13, when Paul is writing this, Romans chapter 13, it's in the context of the Roman government that at the time was led by a guy named Emperor Nero who did mass persecutions on Christians, the same government that drove nails through Jesus. Paul is saying, submit to them because ultimately God's in control. Because ultimately every earthly authority is under the authority of God. Because God knows who he's dealing with. Because God knows how to right that which is wrong. Because ultimately, Jesus is still Lord. See, when we seek his will, we don't have to divide. It doesn't mean that you don't have a political stance. It doesn't mean that you, you don't, you know, we, we, we're called to vote, we're called to be educated, we're called to be involved, we're called to participate, but we're not called to divide. And, and, and this is, so, so for, for Paul to say, you know, submit to every governing authority, and he's not even saying on the other side, he's not saying now you have to be a supporter of every, every camp, and, and, you, and now you have to buy Caesar stickers and put it on your bumper sticker and say vote for Caesar. He's not saying go on Facebook and blast everyone that says anything negative about Caesar. Not, Paul's not even saying that. Well, Paul's just saying, ultimately God's in control here. Seek his kingdom. And let them inform the citizens we are on earth. There's a guy named Richard Halverson. He's a former uh, chaplain of the United States Senate. And he has this quote that I want to read to you. He says, To be sure men will abuse and misuse the institution of the state just as men um, have done because of sin, misused every other institution in history, including the church of Jesus Christ. But this does not mean that the institution is bad or that it should be forsaken. It simply means that men are sinners and rebels in God's world. And this is the way they behave with good institutions. As a matter of fact, it is because of this very sin that there must be human government to maintain order in history until the final and ultimate rule of Jesus Christ is established. Human government is better than anarchy, and the Christian must recognize the divine right of the states. What he's saying is so true that he recognizes that, that no matter what camp we're part of and no matter where we stand on, uh, in this or that, that, it's, that the real issue is sin. And the only one that it could actually save us from sin is the one who sits on the throne. And that's why God came and he sent Jesus, his son. And it's because of that we can... We can live trusting God, paying our tax, but trusting God. Give to God what belongs to God. First Peter chapter 2, verse 11 through 13, 
It goes on and says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans. Pagans are not talking about evildoers or just criminals. Pagans are just basically talking about those in the Roman Empire. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds. They may see your good deeds and glorify God. On the day he visits us, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority. But the only way we do that is if we give to God. If we trust in God. So that's the, that's the message here. The message here is this. That Jesus says, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, but give to God what belongs to God. And we see today that the one who bears the image of God is you, we. And we're, we're called to belong to him. We're called to render back to him, to give back to him what rightfully is his. And he would go the infinite length and the infinite distance from heaven to earth to gather what belongs to him. Church, don't hold on to what belongs to him. Amen? Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, but give to God what belongs to God. In the world, Caesar claims what belongs to him by force. In the gospel, Jesus claims what belongs to him by the cross. In the world, Caesar profits at the citizen's expense. In the gospel, we profit at God's expense. Brother Andrew here in our campus said this, that grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. That we get to experience grace. We get to experience God's riches, not at our expense. He doesn't force us, but he submits himself to the cross. And at his expense, we profit. See, in God's kingdom, it's not one of yielding power and wealth and authority. In God's kingdom, it's about giving it away. In God's kingdom, it's not about laboring others, but it's about serving others. In God's kingdom, it's not about creating division and tribes, but it's about creating true unity. In God's kingdom, it's about love. And when you see the cross and you see Jesus and how he uses his power and how he uses his riches and how he uses his authority, you will see the depths of his love and the distance he goes to bring us back to him. Because when he sees you and when he sees me and when he sees our church, Friends, he sees his image, and it belongs to him. The last part of this passage in Mark chapter 12, verse 17, can we get that on the screen? It says, Jesus said to them, you know, give to Caesar what, are, what belongs to Caesar, give to God the things that are God's. And then that very last thing, it says, and they were amazed at him. My version in the ESP says, and they marveled at him. I want to make a quick note before I close. You know what's interesting? Is that they were amazed, but they did not change. They marveled, but they did not follow. The invitation of God is not for you to be amazed. The invitation of God is for you to be changed. The invitation of God is not for you to marvel at Jesus. The invitation of God is for you to follow Jesus. Friends, I want to spare you the temptation of coming to church just to be amazed and just to be marveled. Are you with me? The invitation of God 
is to follow him, trust him, and be changed. The question that I would ask as we close, the question that I would consider if I were you this week, and the question would be this, is I would ask myself, whose kingdom do I seek? An honest question, whose kingdom do I seek? Whose kingdom am I building? I pray that you would go out this week, wherever you spend time this week, I pray that that would be the question for you, whose kingdom do I seek? Whose kingdom am I building? And may you give to Caesar what is Caesar's, but may you more importantly give to God what belongs to God. You bear his image. Would you pray with me?